0: Some months ago, it began to grow in me this series, and I, we spoke to the, the team of, and spoke about this idea that it is an opportunity for us to look again at the God that we love. Many of us have grown up in a, a religious setting where God was spoken to us uh, in, in distant terms. Uh, people used great theological terms. They dialed in the theological accuracy. We got a, a, a nice statement of faith. This is who God is. But uh, there were some people in Jesus' day who had their theology perfectly fine-tuned But when Jesus stood in front of them, they didn't recognize him. And so it is possible for us to have a finely tuned theology that seems appropriate and good to everybody, but when he stands right in front of you, you can't recognize him when you lay him up against your theology. So Jesus breaks onto the scene of mankind. He is God with skin on, the exact representation of God's being, Hebrew says, the radiance of God's glory, the one that God sent to say, if you've seen me You've seen the Father. This is how God is. And so Jesus shows up, and to the people with their finely tuned theology, they hated Him and resisted Him and and envied Him and, and sent Him off to His death. So there's a danger that we can have a theology that doesn't embrace the God of the theology. And I'd much rather embrace the God of the theology than have a finely tuned theology. Are we with me? So this series is an invitation for us to look again, to, to 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 double look, to look beyond just what what is obvious, to see the God who stands behind it. And this this kind of struck me first in Matthew twenty-two because. Um, they, they, uh, Jesus was having this discussion with some Sadducees and they asked him a question and he, he answered them and he confounded them. And this was very exciting to the Pharisees because the Pharisees had been fighting with the Sadducees for years and then they saw how easily Jesus put them aside. They were like, let's get him on our side. So we pick up the story there in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher. He's an expert in the law He's got it all dialed in. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, What's interesting about this is that Deuteronomy 6:5 was the first part that Jesus quoted, which is, love the Lord your God, all your heart, mind, and soul. And then Leviticus was the second. Leviticus 19, 18 was where the law had said, you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. So those two were established in the law, but the law had 613 commandments, and Jesus reaches in and draws out those two and says, these are them. Everything else hangs on these two. And I began to think about how it would be if somebody came to me and said, Greg, could you summarize the law and the prophets? Because if they'd asked me to do that, as Paul said, the whole, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this command. So if somebody had asked me to do that, I would have struggled to, to come up with what Jesus came up with. And I realized what Jesus saw when they said, could you tell us, could you sum it all up? Jesus said, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's easy. You must love God. And you must love one another. And and quite honestly, I did a double take because I'm going, is he reading the same law I'm reading? Because the law I read Deuteronomy 28 says, listen, if you're careful to obey everything that's written in this book of the Lord, then the following blessings will come upon you. But if you don't carefully obey everything that's written in this law, then the following curses will come upon you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the field. You'll be cursed in the mountain. You'll be cursed in the valley. And he said, I'll send a blight against your crops, and the grasshoppers will eat it up, and then you'll starve to death. And if that doesn't get you, I'll send an army after you, and they'll kill you. If that doesn't get you, I'll send boils all over your body. I'm like, so when I read the law... If you'd asked me, can you sum the law up? I would have said, God is this amazing, sovereign, holy God, and He has very high standards for morality, and He has taught us what He wants. That's the law. And the prophets, you better shine up your ugly thing because you've fallen so far short of where God wants you to be, and you better work your way up and do everything you can to f- struggle your way back. If you'd asked me to summarize the law and the prophets, that's what it would, it would have been something like that. And when they asked Jesus, he goes, Ha, oh, love God, everything, and love your neighbor. And I realized I need to come stand and look over Jesus' shoulder and take another fresh look at, see what he sees. Because when they asked Jesus, all he could see was his father behind it. Because his father had spoken all of that stuff and he goes, oh, I know his heart. You know what his heart is? This is just the intent of God. So this sermon series is about come and have another look. Because Jesus defied the traditions of his day and he ignored their rules and he broke their religious restrictions and he paid no devotion to their expectations because he knew his father. And no matter how many words they quoted that his father had spoken, he knew the intent behind the words. And there is a massive difference between knowing what he said and knowing the person who said them. This sermon series is an invitation to come and discover the person behind the words, to look again and have a fresh take on the God that we like. As I was thinking about these things, two events happened to me, and and both through my daughter, and I realized the Lord was beginning to speak to me. We had a COVID event, actually, we had a worship event uh, you know, sometime like April, May, sometime last year. And uh, it was right in the beginning of COVID, and everyone was all nervous, and everyone was wearing masks, and we said, come on, it's gonna be outside, and you can... Um, you know, come to the event. and I always like to try and compliment my daughter or my wife, and I, and I don't like being obvious with compliments. I like, you know, so I had this little thing with my daughter. I used to say a whole bunch of stuff to tell her how pretty I thought she was. And and I used to say to her growing up, I used, when she'd get with a group of friends, I'd say, excuse me, we've had some complaints. Too many pretty people in one place. You guys need to spread out because you're hurting eyes. And, you know, it's just a little... Silly way of me telling my daughter I think she's lovely. And uh, the trouble is my daughter's grown up now and I hadn't hit my thing yet. And so we're at the COVID event and my daughter's standing with a bunch of other ladies and I say, excuse me, we've had some complaints, too many pretty people in one place. Now, uh, my daughter understood entirely exactly what's going on. But the other people all didn't know, all they heard is too many people, you're too close together. And they were like, oh, we, we, we messed up. You know. We, uh, we have had Now Greg, the senior pastor has to come and rebuke us. You know, and they were all, oh, we're so sorry. And, and my daughter's going, relax, come back. He's joking. And they're going, no, he, he said. You're too many people together. And she's going, no, relax, come here, come. If you know somebody... You get what they're saying. But if you don't know them, you could completely misunderstand. That happens a lot in church. That happens a lot with Jesus. Second one was, we, we're putting up this journey map. This was a couple of months ago. And I had, I had, been, I had been, I'd been the senior pastor. I had my senior pastor boots on, and I'm jolly paying for this, and I want it right by golly. And so everybody was a little snapping too, and ooh, I hope he likes it. And then, so they, they were installation day. They would planned it, and they designed it, and they were installation day. And I was like, okay. They said, no, no, we don't want you to come in. We want to do it. Because I was like, it's got to be equidistant. It's got to be sharp. I want this. You know, it must pop. It, and, you know, So I'd been, don't bring me rubbish. It must be excellent. And they were all, okay, okay. So they did it. And then they, okay, come look. So I come into the room, but I'm not, and I go, and I look at it, and it's, I like it. I go, I go, man, that's nice. you know. But I'm standing back to get the whole view. But then I'm standing back there and I can't read some of the words. I go, that, that color's wrong. It doesn't pop enough. And you know, I think we're going to have to change all of that. And I see these people have spent hours making it just, you know, and they go, oh, we're going to have to change it. And my, I didn't know, but my daughter walked in behind me. And she's hearing me being grumbly about this. And she goes, well, just take a few steps forward and then you'll be able to see. Nobody's going to stand back here and look at it. Just basically stop being grumpy, you know, step forward. And I'm watching, but now the, gu- the guy who's the installation, who doesn't know me, he's just the guy who's installed it and I'm paying his bills, you know, so he's, he's like shocked because nobody talks to me like that, right? He's shocked. And so I, I, so I said to my daughter, you think just because you're stunning, you can talk to me like that? She says, Yeah. So I, said, so I said to him, it's my daughter. He goes, oh, okay. He understands now. See, if you have a relationship with God, religious people are going to think the way you communicate with Him is bordering on irreligious. you understand? People, people who have a relationship with God tend to speak to God in a way that will, that will really freak religious people out. God got so angry with Israel, he said to Moses, Step aside, I'll kill them, I'll make a new nation out of you. Moses said, You can't do that. Can't do that. Let me tell you why. The Lord said to Moses, I'm so ticked with these people, this is another time, I'm so ticked with them, I'm not going to go with you. You go on, you lead them, and I'll meet you there. Moses said, I'm not going anywhere, I'm sitting right here. If you're not going, I'm not going. You've told me to lead this, people, and you've told me, but, I, but I'm not, no. He said, and besides, more, more than that, if you don't come with us, he said, I said I'll send my angel with you, because I'm, I'm happy for you, angel. I'm not going anywhere. If you don't come with us, I'm not going. And what's more, I need to know who you are. You need to show me your glory. Do you understand that there is something about knowing God that that will free you up from a certain perspective that if you don't know him, you'll have an entirely different perspective. <laughs> I know theologically that the, the ineffable, unchanging, sovereign God, the Almighty, sits above the circle of men. That's good theology but he's also the God who was made man flesh and he invaded my world so that he could sit in my circle and help me. He's also Emmanuel. So while he is the sovereign God who does whatever pleases him, you know what pleases him? To stand with me in my troubles. So if you listen to the theologian, he's the great and ineffable God, his paths beyond finding out. Yeah, but he explains his paths to those he loves. The Lord confides in those who fear Him, the Bible says. Tells them His secrets. Well, you can't ever know the secret of God, except that if you come to Him and your Father and you sit on His lap, He explains stuff to you. Then you do know His secrets. Am I preaching to anyone here yet? You all look so spiritual. God wants to know you, and He wants you to know Him. He bids you to come. He invites you in. He doesn't want you at a distance. He wants you extremely close. So I want to ask you a question, what do you know, what do you personally know to be true about the Lord? Because what you in your gut, what you absolutely know, not some theology theology out there, but what you know, what you absolutely know to be true in your heart makes all the difference to your life and to mine. Because I've been to the rock face. I've been when it's dark days and when when the waves are threatening to sink the boat. I've been to those places in my life. And what I know to be true about God in those moments are the things that carry me through. That's why the darkest days and the toughest moments are the moments that Jesus loved to show up and show His heart to you. Show up and show off. He goes like, this is who I am. The loaded moments when God hands out revelation treasures and understanding treasures. This is who I am. That is precious beyond its worth. He wants us to know Him and and wants us to know what it is that moves Him. What He likes. He wants you to know on a personal level. I'll never forget, we had an elders meeting many years ago, and Nicole was about four years old, and we had an elders meeting, and it was obviously a bit loud, and it was way past her bedtime. She'd been asleep, but we'd wakened her, and she came walking in, teddy bear on hand. You know, she, she walked into this elders meeting, kind of looked around, there were 18 or 20 adults in heated conversation. She wandered through them all, walked up to me, lay back, sat in my lap, and fell asleep. I don't know what you're arguing about, but you're messing with my dad's lap, and I want to be in my dad's lap. She kind of sat in her lap, looked around, fell asleep. Boom. There's something about the heart of God. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to understand Him. So this is what Jeremiah 9 says. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength, the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. That he understands and knows me that I'm the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So Ephesians 5, Paul says to the church, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out. You go and find out what pleases the Lord. Do you know what pleases God? Do you? I mean, not a not the theology. You. Do you know? that there's some way you can get God's attention? Do you know there's a way that you personally can please the Lord? Do you know what that is? Because the Bible is full of those kinds of things. For instance, for instance, anytime you believe, you step out in faith, that pleases, because faith pleases God. Without faith, you can't please God. So anytime you step out in faith, God goes, I like that. Faith pleases God. You know know what else? There's there's a bunch of them. You know what else pleases God? Looking after your parents and your grandparents. Paul says, if if you're of the faith, you should learn to look after your parents and your grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Financially, he's talking about. He said, there's some people here, I I just want to dare you. You want to please God? Have your parents around for a meal. Send them an Uber Eats if they're far away or something. And just bless them. Just take a moment to say, Mom, Dad, I just want to say thank you for that thing you did for me. Some of you are going, yeah, but you don't know my mom and dad. They're horrible people. Find something about them that is honorable. Because I promise you, somewhere, at some stage, there's something that's honorable. And honor that. Because God likes it. Well, I don't think they deserve it. Yeah, but I'm not talking about whether they deserve it. I'm talking about what pleases God. The Bible says, find out what pleases the Lord. What do you know about God? Some of our darkest days, I can tell you when it felt like every promise has been broken. Every promise the Lord ever made us was broken. It felt like God was a million miles away. It felt like everything in our life was destroyed. I'm sitting there in a mess. I'm holding my dead son's body on my shoulder, weeping. This is the third time this has happened. This is not a happy day for us. In that same month, Michelle's folks got divorced. Her grandmother, she was really close to it, had died, and our third son died. Not a happy time in our life. We're sitting weeping at the lowest point of our life and something goes off in our spirits and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is loving and God is faithful and God hears our cry. And you, I don't know how we got that inside of us, but at some point it gets on the inside of you and there is nothing that this earth can bring up that will change what you know to be true about God. So Paul says, there's neither height, nor depth, nor angel, nor demon, nor the past, nor the present, or anything else in the whole of creation that can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Paul settled something in his spirit. Five times I was beaten by the Jews, 39 lashes. Five times I was beaten with rods, three times. I was stoned for dead once. I was shipwrecked three times. I've been been let out in baskets out of city. I've been hounded. I've been chased out of places. By the way, nothing can separate me from the love of God. See, what you believe in your gut about who God is is a big stinking deal for you. And it's worth you going to the Lord and saying, Lord, could you connect with me? I want to know you. I want you to open up your heart to me. I want to get to know you. Because you said, if you're going to boast about anything in this life, let it be about this, that you understand and know me. That you get God. And He wants you to. So I want to talk today about, are you familiar with the God who delights to show kindness? I want just, to just turn a little bit and talk about Let's have a look again. Let's look again at God and His kindness, because I was never taught about the kindness of God. I was taught way more about the holiness and the sternness and the anger of God than I was ever taught about His kindness. In fact, the first time I heard that God was kind, it, it was a shock to me. What do you mean God is kind? Jeremiah 9... That the one who boasts, boasts about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight. Your God said, and he never lies, I am the God who delights to exercise kindness on the earth. God likes exercising kindness. Praise God! Imagine if he was mean-spirited. Now that word, uh, kindness, that's translated there, is, is a Hebrew word, chesed. It, it it's translated 183 times as loving kindness, and and 39 times just as kindness, and sometimes goodness and faithfulness. And uh, but most of the time, it's this is this idea of loving kindness. God is just over, overflowing with love and kindness. That, that God. So there's a bunch of scriptures, and I don't have time to take you through anywhere near all of them, but I just wanted to give you some sense of this from the Old Testament. Psalm 23 is probably the one that you know the most. He said, surely your goodness and your loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Do you know that God has appointed His loving kindness, His chesed, His loving kindness to follow you all the days of your life? Because He delights in exercising chesed. He loves to show His kindness to people. Isaiah 54. In a surge of my anger, I hid my face from you, but with, uh, in, uh, for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, Chesed. I will remember to have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Verse 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my chesed, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God says, I will put my loving kindness on you and I swear by myself, I will never ever remove it from you. In the New Testament, same idea. Titus says, And the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. (laughs) It just ministers to me all the time. He saved me, not because of the righteous things I had done, but because of His mercy. And out of His kindness, The kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. Ephesians says the same thing. He um, he says, God raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Him in heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Jesus. You know what that means? One day in eternity, we're going to get up there. The Lord's going to open up my life. He's going to unravel it. You're going to see my life from the beginning to the end. Everything except my sin, that that's all washed away into the blood. But the rest of my life, and you're going to see me, everything. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to look at my life, and you're going to just start worshiping Jesus. Like, Lord, how kind you were to that man. Look at how patient you were with him. Look at what a boatload of grace was necessary for him. In order that in the coming ages, the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness. You are going to look at my life, and the movie of my life, you're going to go, how kind was God to you? He's the God who delights to exercise that kindness on the earth. And he's not going to, that means he's not going to just take you to cushy places all the time. It means that when you're in a tough situation, he's going to be kind to you not gonna pull you out too early because He wants you to develop. He wants you to grow some muscle. He wants you to learn how to overcome. So He doesn't just, the moment anything's tough, you go, oh, Lord, show me your kindness. No, that's, you understand, it's it's not a naive understanding of this. No, God will put you in the ring and you start to fight, but He stands right with you. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. My loving kindness is gonna follow you every day of your life. I'm right here with you and I'll never let you get tempted beyond what you can bear. I will always provide a way out. And you go, Lord, anytime now, this is getting. A little heat, I'm getting a bit beaten up. You can take me out now, and he goes, I, You can take him, son. No, 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 take me out now. And he says, No, no, a few more minutes, you can handle. Come on now, throw the left. But his kindness is that he never leaves, he always stands, but he loves to be kind. And here's a secret, here's a kicker listen to this he loves exercising kindness. But you know what really pleases him? What really pleases him. Is when you expect him to be kind. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord delights, not, his pleasure is not in the legs of a man or in the strength of a horse, but the Lord delights in those who fear him, who expect him to be loving and kind, who expect chesed. The Lord delights in those who look forward to, who expect, who hope for chesed, for his loving kindness. Do you want to delight the Lord? Expect him to be loving and kind. I didn't say this in the first verse. Psalm 78, it says, His anger broke out against Israel, his fire against the children of Israel, because they did not believe in God or expect him to come through for them. God got ticked with people because they didn't expect him to be loving and kind. They expected him to be mean-spirited. And he got angry with them. And then they said, you see, he's angry and mean-spirited. If only there had been somebody around there, a son or a daughter, saying, no, 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 no you completely missed it. No, no, he doesn't mean that. No, not, he doesn't mean what you think. No, no, let me explain. And every time somebody comes, oh, you know, uh, you know this is, uh, God's angry with, an, I go, no, 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 come here, come here, let me explain. No. Oh, he's going to judge the church. I go, no, no, he loves the church. No, come here, let me explain. Oh, the church is not doing, it. Shh, shh, come here. Let me talk to you about God. Because that's not it at all. I'm going to close with, a story about Peter, because this, for me, just was it was an example of God's loving kindness to somebody who had completely disappointed Him. When when Jesus found Peter, Peter was a fisherman in Capernaum, which is a city on the, on the shores of, of the of, of um, Sea of Galilee. Lake Gennesaret. Chorazin and Bethsaida are two other cities that are close by. And there's a little triangle of these cities. And uh, Jesus denounced all three because he said, uh, uh, you know, if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented anyway. But about 70% of all of Jesus' miracles happened in that little triangle about five miles each side. That little part of the world has seen more miracles. Those waters on the Sea of Galilee, I've been on a boat there. I looked around and I was like, these waters have been walked on. These waters had been commanded to be quiet, and they did. These fish in this lake jumped into boats. I mean, I, it, it's a it's nice being. I got miracles. This water knows the voice of the king. These waters know the voice of the creator. It's nice to be there. I was like, woo, I kind of like this place. They understand how the universe works. But Peter's fishing all night, hasn't caught anything. And so, Eight hours of fishing in the dark, sweating, swearing, nothing's happening. They pull their boats up, sunrise is coming, and everybody wants to go home. Nobody's caught anything. Wasted eight hours. Could have been sleeping. And Peter says, no, before you go, come fix the nets. We're going to fix them. Everyone's grumbling. Oh, Peter, come on. He goes, "Ah, nets. They're fixing nets. While they're fixing the nets, a crowd of about 15,000 people come over the hill. And they walk straight to Peter's boat because somebody in front of them is leading them in Jesus. And he comes down and he walks straight to Peter's boat and he goes, excuse me, Peter. Yeah, because everybody's trying to touch Jesus. He goes, can I get in your boat? And And Peter says, yeah. What do you say? The whole crowd's watching you. Guys, get those nets back in the boat. Let's go. So they push out a little and Jesus sits down and teaches the crowd. So now Peter's a captive audience to a sermon that he didn't invite himself to. He didn't go to. The sermon came to find him. And Jesus preaches for a couple of hours and then says, let's go catch some fish. And he goes, <laughs> I'm a fisherman. You're the, I didn't stand up during your sermon to try and add something. You Don't tell me what to do in my boat. You know what I mean? a little bit like, and they catch more fish than than Peter's ever seen. This is a shocking catch of fish. This is an awesome moment. And they have to call, Peter's got this loose partnership with his other boat, uh, the, the the Thunder Sons, the, the Thunder Boys, Sons of, Jeb, Sons of Thunder, is what their name, the Thunder Boys, basically. Because you know, to us, it's the Sons of Thunder, but in, in the local, it was, it was a nickname, the Thunder Boys. Hey, we need the Thunder Boys. He goes, hey, guys, can you come help us? And, and this boat's sinking, that boat's sinking, too many fish. They drag to shore, and Peter throws his arms around Jesus and says, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Because he realizes he, this is somebody holy and, and he's too holy for me, but I, I'm so desperate. He goes, he's so hungry. This is awesome. I've been part of a miracle. I wanna be part of this man's life, but he knows I don't deserve it. And he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna make you a fisherman. Come follow me. And he, I'm ready. So he's right in the middle of a miracle. James and John are like, sign me up. There they, off they go. And they, and they do this three years of ministry, and they're coming to the end, and Jesus says, listen, they're gonna kill me. I'm gonna be buried. I'm gonna be raised again. And uh, he says, they're gonna strike the shepherd. The sheep will scatter. You guys are all gonna go. And, and Peter goes, listen, <clears throat> Jesus, um, now maybe this bunch of, of wimpy people, of disciples are gonna leave you, but I don't care what happens. I'm not leaving. I'll die with you. Because, I mean, let's face it. Look at them. I'm so full of devotion. I mean, you know me, Jesus. I love you. I'll never leave you. Jesus, Peter, before tomorrow morning, you'll deny you know me three times. So when the cock crows the next morning for the second time, and Peter has denied Jesus three times with swearing, he swore. Foul language and all, I Never knew this man. And the cock crows, and he runs out weeping. Because he's now not just—he's supposed to be the guy. Because Jesus said, "You're the rock." His name was Rocky. His nickname was Rocky. That's what Jesus called him. Hey, Rocky. The Thunder Boys, Rocky, and there was another guy called. Uh, his his name was Twin. Right, we'll get you in the story. Thomas. And Thomas' nickname was Didymus, which means the twin. So Jesus had nicknames. Because uh, some people thought he looked like Jesus. Some people, there's all this theory. But he, he looked very, very close to either Simon Peter or Jesus. And so they called him the twin. And so go call the twin and tell him, you know, that was. So, so you, you had Rocky, the twin, and the, the Thunder Boys. And they were all there when Peter denied Jesus. So, Jesus says to Mary, go tell the disciples, and, and, and Peter hears this, because Jesus had told this, when I die, I want you to go to Galilee. And so, they'd forgotten all of this, of course, and so they go to Galilee now, because they go, oh, remember, Jesus said he'd meet us in Galilee, so they're going. But now Peter is walking to Galilee, but he, he's a complete failure. He's denied Jesus, publicly. He's blown his whole ministry, everything Jesus promised him, he's completely failed. And he goes... And he's sitting around there, and he just goes, I'm going fishing. So he gets back in his boat, same boat that he pulled up to the shores when Jesus called him, same shore he was when Jesus sat in his boat, and he goes out fishing all night, and he hasn't caught a single thing. And early in the morning, he comes back, and there's Jesus on the side of the shore, and uh, they don't know it's Jesus, and Jesus calls out to them. They're still out about 100 yards, and he goes, hey, do you guys have any fish? But the way he says it is, do you have even a little bit of fish paste left to push up against your bread? Like just more like a garnish that I can put on the top of my bread. And they go, no, we don't even have that. There's zero fish out here. And he goes, hey, why don't you throw your net on the right side of the boat? Now the weird thing about the story is they do that. And then they catch, we're back to more fish than you can shake a stick at. And then John says, that's the Lord. And Peter who's just got his shorts on, puts his robe back on and dives into the water. Because Peter didn't want to show up in front of Jesus. Because when you fished, you fished basically in your shorts. You, you took off because fish get smelly. and So you took off your outer garments and you just fished basically in your, in your shorts. And then, uh, But Jesus didn't want to show up in front of, I mean, Peter doesn't want to show up in front of Jesus like a fisherman. He wants to show up in front of Jesus like a disciple. So he puts his outer clothes back on and dives in the water and swims and he comes running to Jesus. And when he gets on shore, there's another fire there, and there's some fish cooking. And Jesus says, come, let's go have breakfast. And around that fire, Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? And he goes, and he says, yes, Lord, you know I do. And he says, feed my lambs. And he reinstates Peter. Because it was around a fire in a a courtyard that that Jesus was denied by Peter three times. So he builds another fire and reinstates him three times. He did it in front of those people, and so Jesus has them there, and he does it again, reinstates Peter in front of those people. The loving kindness of God is that he engineers a circumstance where he reminds you of his call, and he reminds you of his purpose, and he washes away the, the weaknesses and the failures that we've committed, and he reinstates them and recalls him, because in about 40 days' time, the church of Jesus Christ is going to be born in Jerusalem, and the man who's going to lead them for about 30, 40 years is going to be Peter, this guy who 10 days ago denied Jesus vehemently. Can you imagine if I got up and denied Jesus three times with swearing that you all could see me 50 days later leading the revival? Jesus engineered a circumstance where that was possible. Now, some people in this room, you think you've messed up, you've denied Him, you've walked away, you've dropped so far away from where you thought you could be that you don't think He can show you love and kindness anymore, once again. And I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to tell my people, my loving kindness extends even to this place. So I'm going to close this meeting with a prayer. And if you're one of those people who feels like you've messed up, you've gone so far away that God could never show you kindness, I just want to tell you I'm so glad you came today because this message is for you. And I believe the Spirit of God wants to draw people back to your calling, back to the place of your greatest intimacy with God, back to that moment when you knew all was right between you and God. And perhaps there's some people in this meeting and you've never done that even once. I'm going to pray this prayer, and if you you want to come to know Jesus, if you tell him that in your own heart, just say, Jesus, I, I want to know you, he'll hear, and that'll be enough. But let's pray. I want to pray for some people today. Lord, I know there's some people sitting here who feel like they've done too much, they've walked too far, they've denied you too much to ever expect your kindness again. But I know you, Lord. You're the God who delights to exercise kindness and love on the earth. So Lord, right now, I pray that you'd wash away every sin, every brokenness, every mistake, every denial. You'd wash away every weakness. And that once again, Lord, you you would restore your people. That once again, Lord, they'd feel the power and the beauty of your calling. Once again, Lord, in a public arena, you would tell them, I love you. You are to me a precious, treasured possession. And I'm asking, Father, in Jesus' name, would you draw them incredibly close? And would you minister life to them? Wash them, Lord. Forgive them. Cleanse them. And draw them near. In Jesus' name. Amen.